This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is one of New Zealand's finest comedians, Guy Montgomery. I caught up with this man of many talents in a hotel room in India. We talked about his early life in New Zealand, starting out in the stand-up world, and how he's recently moved to New York City. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Guy Montgomery, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Great, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me to you, take it easy with you. No worries, mate. Anytime. Uh, now, you must be on top of the world today following uh, yesterday, uh, your beloved Black Caps uh, winning an absolute thrilling test match against Pakistan in Dubai Yeah, uh, by four runs. Uh, you seem like you're floating on air today. Absolutely. I was, uh, I'd actually sort of... Because we've been in transit, mm. uh, which meant that watching that final day or the fourth day of the test was off the cards, <laughs> and also being on uh, an internet range was kind of off the cards during the the you know bulk of the action. I'd sort of given up on the lads. Mm. I mean, Pakistan were what thirty seven for none, chasing mm. one hundred and seventy at the end of day three. Mm. But then you, you, the the bringer of good news, <laughs> told me all about it. It's amazing. And on top of that, I've just had an hour-long massage <laughs> when I only mentally accounted for 30 minutes of massage. The perfect thing to do before chatting on a podcast, having a massage. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an expensive habit, guesting on podcasts for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't perform unless I'm very well-oiled. <laughs> we are, of course, touring India at the moment. Um, we've been to Mumbai, uh, Kolkata, Delhi, Pune, and now... Oh, Bengaluru and now Goa. Uh, how have you found the last two and a bit weeks? Uh, I've really enjoyed it, mm. to be completely honest. Uh, the The tourism experience has been wonderful. Mm. I've really enjoyed uh, India. The people here are incredibly friendly. Uh, professionally, probably a little bit more... I mean... the. The shows we haven't. I mean, the shows have been sound, but mm. you know they haven't really set our world on fire. I think it'd be fair. They've to all say. just been rock solid, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, they're still the crowds are still. Oh, absolutely. Very responsive. You have to speak a little slower and uh, do material that is universal. I so, just yeah. Overall, I think it's been pretty good. It has been really good, but it is that sort of classic roadshow thing of you know, a lot of the material I'm wheeling out. I'm sort of sick of selling. Yeah, but you know. These people have paid you, you, your hair on work. You've got to show them a good time. That's right. And then, you know, the challenge of traveling is, you know, this we're recording this in November. Mm. I've got my new show opening in January. <laughs> and so you want to be working in new stuff and like even yeah. just in your downtime writing, but it's hard moving around and yeah. stuff. It's hard to be disciplined. Yeah, it's better to get in massages and doing yeah. podcasts, really. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what about your uh, health on this trip? How is that held uh, A few fluctuations. <laughs> Started pretty strong. I was in, I was in great nick. 
through Mumbai, <laughs> running around town, uh, you know, eating everything, weren't eating you? everything, yeah, yeah, experimenting, absolutely, eating With off food, the street, obviously. having such a good time, and then unsurprisingly. Uh, it all caught up to me sort of – I remember we were driving from um, Mumbai to Pune mm. and we were in the same car and I said, I'm actually not feeling that well today. Mm. And uh, I was running a fever and then it all sort of quickly went downhill from there. I went from solids. I mean, I could see that my, my <laughs> movements were trending in the wrong direction. But, uh, you know, within 24 hours, we were reduced from pretty solid stuff to just pure <laughs> liquid. <laughs> and then it was four or five days of just – I mean, you know – Chaos. Yeah, I felt sorry for you. I must admit, um, it's a ve- I mean, it, it, it genuinely it's a very. This is true of traveling anywhere, but in India, particularly, I felt it was a very different experience mm. uh, as a healthy person to a crook person. Yeah, the height of my feeling sorry for you was probably at uh, we caught a, an overnight train, seventeen hours from Kolkata, Kolkata to Delhi, and you were at the peak of your sickness there and i we were at the air the um the train station in kolkata which was busy i've never seen so many people in one place in my life the toilet's not the best condition and you had to yeah you had to run from the train back to the toilets which i yeah that was uh yeah that was pretty dicey and then all of the latrines there were sort of six latrines for the gents (laughs) 10 rupee a head uh were full (laughs) And so I sort of just anxiously, I mean, I would have looked like the most sheepish white guy in the train station just eyeing up every single door. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, that was the least of my concerns. I actually shat myself on that overnight train. I uh, got through sort of four or five bowel movements overnight and then about 8 a.m. the next morning, I went for what I thought was a garden variety piss. My first stand-up toilet trip of quite a while and uh, – I don't know what came over me, but I trusted a fart, which turned out to be pure liquid. <laughs> and you lost a pair of... Yeah, lost... Actually, and one of my newer and nicer pair of, pairs of undies. Oh, but, no. I mean, they were just unsalvageable. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a good song out of it as well. Your yeah, yeah. Hit I single. on the overnight train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you were born and raised in Christchurch, yeah. NZ. Good research. Yeah, no, I went on your Wikipedia page. Impressive. Um, how was it growing up for a little guy in Christchurch? I'm picturing like a very similar scenario to the film Once Were Warriors. Would that be accurate? Uh, well, you're in the right country. <laughs> uh, somewhat unique from the experience depicted in Once Were Warriors. <laughs> Uh, slightly more sort of nuclear and picturesque. Right. Uh, I'm the only son, sandwiched between two sisters. Right. Uh, mum and dad were and are still happily together. That's nice. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, I was a very fortunate and happy young lad. <laughs> free, to, free to do as I so chose. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What um, like Scribe is from Christchurch, isn't he? The great yeah. hip hop artist Scribe. Um, He's had his ups and downs. He has. Did his album The Crusader and the massive hit? It was a massive hit in Australia. Not many. Yeah, it's if a any. Yeah, it's great. Great song. Did that resonate with you? Is that a sort of similar uh, upbringing? Again, <laughs> probably. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that Scribe and I had uh, identical experiences <laughs> growing up in Christchurch. Uh, I mean, the song, because it slaps so hard, resonated with me in that I love, you yeah. know, I love it when it comes on. But no, he was, he was articulating a different experience of growing up yeah, in Altaro. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the whole album, I must admit, is a ripper. It's a good album. Yeah, there was a, I remember there was one, uh, Dreamin', mm-hmm. and it had that yeah. lovely little like, yeah. you know, melody on the, on the hook on the chorus. Yeah. I Real was good. down and out. He sort of experimented with singing in that one. Yeah. Yeah, he's had quite a tumultuous time since uh, the album ascended him to stardom. Mm. I think he's uh, he might have uh, an addiction. I think so. He's he's had his challenges with that. Is no good, is it? Yeah, I saw him just after he released that album in Jindabyne in New South Wales in the Snowy Mountains. It was like the snow season, so it was like big. They get big acts there, and yeah, he played at the Lake Jindabyne Hotel, and it was so good. It was one of the really? better nights of music. That's I've great. Had. Yeah, I love seeing Australians get around the Kiwi. <laughs> Russell Crowe Yeah I mean We sort of claimed him Didn't we It's sort of Russell Crowe's 
I feel like he's a floating part. Mm. Like crowded it, house? It, there was a t- crowded house is New Zealand. Probably more Australian. Oh, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> Russell Crowe you can have, but crowded house is all ours. <laughs> touch it, touch Crowded yeah. house. Uh, were you a performer at school? Were you a, a sort of a class clown uh, kind of guy? A little bit. I think I was mostly funny amongst friends, not necessarily performatively in class. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an aside, but I sort of uh, – had a, an overwhelming desire to be liked by the student mm. body and staff yeah. alike, which meant maybe a well-placed aside, yeah. but never anything seriously disruptive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I was not a super confident public speaker. I think I remember I got a few good gags off, but never like I, my cl- I had close friends, Ben Pryor and Oscar Enberg, who veered into entirely different directions from both public speaking and one another uh, in their adulthood. <laughs> But they were both like they were they were perennial contenders at the speech competition every year, <laughs> and I'd sort of just wheel out. Like I had a natural aptitude for everything, which meant that I loafed in like I loafed in everything. Mm. I, I sort of it was a point of contention between my dad and I. I remember growing up, who's always like, "You never apply yourself," and I was yeah. like, "I'm doing fine." But I think he'd sort of done a similar thing, and it frustrated him. I think a lot of stand-ups have that, or just comedians in general. Did you think? Whatever you did in life, you'd be fine. Like, is that why you yeah. were like that? Yeah, I had this a similar thing where I really clocked off sort of once I sort of turned 15, 16 yeah. and parties and things I, it was just came into the it, Yeah, it picture. just didn't seem – I knew that the bare minimum was enough and I was not uh, particularly ambitious. I don't, I don't know if that stems from also – you know, come, it stems from a place of privilege, and that I grew up in a, a happy and healthy home where I was mm. like, "Well, I've always got this security." You know, like yeah. I don't need to push super hard mm. because I've always got this to underpin whatever you know missteps or yep. whatever I make. But I just never, I f- could not for the life of me apply myself. Not until I actually started doing stand up comedy did I really like knuckle into anything. Mm. And that was because I was like, well, I actually obviously care about – and it was the same thing that stopped me from trying. It's like, well, I actually really care about this. Because yep. the, the consequence of not trying a lot, I think, is you wind up being afraid to try. Because yeah. not trying, you have the security of being like, well, you know, I could try and I could do well. But mm. uh, as soon as you actually put yourself out and try, then there's the fear of not going as well as you yeah. thought you would. And that's very humiliating. Yes. And also, once you get to the point where you need to make money to survive yeah. off that <laughs> – art or whatever you've chosen you need to apply yourself <laughs> yeah otherwise no food yeah so you, you know now as a stand-up improviser writer podcaster actor what came first uh stand-up stand-up came first mm. um and were you in christchurch when you started nah my first ever gig was in auckland but, I mean, I don't really qualify that as the start because, I mean, I'd written jokes for it and then I did that show and then didn't do anything for like, you know, six months. Yeah. And then the next show I did was like a raw night and I showed up absolutely blind <laughs> and told an anecdote. Funnily enough about uh, not shitting myself, but <laughs> what I described as shitting a room right. uh, <laughs> in my university days. And uh, sort of, again, I was crippled by the idea of like, uh, wanting to be good at something but fearful of having to live through being bad at it to get to <laughs> yeah. the place I wanted to be. And so I was just like, that whole time I was just working in cafes, doing promotional work, media scraps, anything I could to sort of harvest as many daytime hours as I could while my friends were still finishing university right? and just avoid whatever felt like settling into a real yeah. life. But in the back of your mind, did you think, Performing or something like that was in your uh, future. I knew, yeah, yeah I knew. I, I think I knew I wanted to stand up, mm. but was afraid to try. Yeah, it's interesting. You didn't study anything after. Uh, I went school? to university in Wellington mm-hmm. and did a BA in theatre, film, and media. Okay, which was like sort of you know an expensive way of getting right to the precipice <laughs> of trying it, uh, but n- never quite having the courage. So yeah. I actually I left New Zealand to start. I moved to Canada. All right, and got got cooking over there. So what what age were you when you moved to Canada? Be twenty two or twenty three, mm-hmm. I think. And is that uh, for young people that finish 
university or school in New Zealand? Is Australia, Canada kind of? Uh, it's mostly it's- London, to be honest. Australia is like, I think a lot of people go to Melbourne for a summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada, not super high up on the list. Canada appealed to me because uh, in my naivete, I thought, you know, just for laughs, Montreal, home of comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want I didn't want to go somewhere where I knew a lot of people and a lot of my friends had gone to London. Like I, okay. I actively was like, if I'm going to sort this work ethic out, I think I need to isolate myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the Commonwealth, easy to get a one-year of visa. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's, did you go to snow areas, snowfield areas? Uh, or? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get up the mountain. So I moved to Montreal for a summer, where yeah. I sort of uh, got a bit of the you know young guy in a new place out of my system. <laughs> Had a hell of a summer. Discovered that uh, Just for Laughs does take place in Montreal, but this is not the home of live comedy. <laughs> Half the scene was in French, of course. Uh, and then I moved to Toronto. And once I was in Toronto, I was just ripping open mics every week. And like I, I love to ski. But I just got so hooked on doing stand up that mm. any sort of like I just didn't I didn't leave Toronto for mm. as long as my visa allowed me because I was like all I wanted to do was open mics. Yeah, that's interesting. Going from very few people start stand up in a country that isn't their own or you know get their career started there. Did you find it quite different to the scene in New Zealand? The small experience you'd had. Yeah, I think like there was, I'd just been so standoffish in New Zealand. Like I knew mm. a lot of the young comics who I'm friends with now because uh, I sort of kept half an eye on the scene. But I almost like, because I knew how funny I thought I was, I, you know, I was afraid to try. I was almost like deliberately put a barrier between myself and them and imagined that they didn't like me mm-hmm. just to create <laughs> motive to do something else, I guess, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, I, I honestly, I couldn't, like, by the time I was back in New Zealand, Toronto was the only scene I really knew. I mm. didn't know what to expect of the New Zealand scene. Okay. And so you went back after a year in Toronto, yeah. you went back I went to- back and was like, you know, hey, everyone, I'm good now, I'm back. <laughs> but no one knew, I mean, no one had barely known I existed before I left. Right. No one knew that I'd been fucking training, yeah. you know, off offshore for a year. And so I actually found it quite hard to get... Yeah. Uh, gigs like starting all over yeah again. and then that sort of meant that the chip i'd put on my shoulder i allowed to blossom <laughs> so i was like what the fuck <laughs> i went away for a year to get good <laughs> and did you have what you thought was a solid 10 15 minute yeah. set when you came back yeah i mean it's because it's a great way if you're a local it's an incredible way to arrive on the scene it's like a year of training in secret i thought i i, I was like yeah i'm good mm. I probably had a superiority complex as well because I had been in a bigger city in a bigger market, like yeah. doing more shows. Like I set a minimum of 10 shows a week okay. to do in Toronto. And in Auckland at the time, you'd be lucky to do one or two. Okay. So in my mind, I was like, I've developed at a rate 10 times faster than yeah. anyone here. <laughs> Give me a shot. Yeah. But often in stand-up, when people come to a new scene quite gung-ho – can sometimes backfire because people oh. are like, you need to know your place, just settle it's down. It's a massive turn off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so the system in New Zealand meant that I applied for, there's like, so there's the com- annual comedy festival, so you turn over an hour. And it's one of the big differences between North America and like the festival scene is like in North America, you work up five, then 10, then 15, then mm. 20, then 30, and then you headline for like however long off that material. Yeah. was you know, in the antipodes, you turn over an hour every year. Mm. So I came back and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get into that festival and I'm going to absolutely storm it. <laughs> uh, and there's a, an award called the Billy T in New Zealand that you yeah. can apply. Like it's the only, it's a weird award in that you apply to be nominated. Yeah. I've had Cal Wilson on this podcast and she won the inaugural one, I think. I think yeah, I think yeah. she did. Uh, but so you, I applied for that. And in my head, that was like, that was all the energy was going to that. I was like, this was the, the way in which I'll prove myself to the people who I have decided don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you won the Billy T, right? Yeah. But was it that after it was, that first? It was that, yeah, it was that. Right. Yeah. So it paid off. That's, that's. Oh, absolutely. It must have been nice, even though you thought you had all these enemies that yeah. you, you'd, you'd targeted that. And you'd written an hour and yeah. you'd come out on top. I still had like an hour. I mean, and I still had that sort of 
slight element of surprise. It's not like when, you know, in a scene where you see someone working for a few years and then they work their way up to doing their first hour because hmm. no one had seen me working up to doing the hour. So I was sort of a dark horse. Yeah. And the scene in New Zealand, one, you know, once you got back there, you got to know more people. Is it a, quite a nice scene and yeah. really supportive? And I, yeah, I, I love it. It's, yeah. uh, I always wonder about this beyond even comedy, just in life, you know. Like, I think it's, I think it's the strongest it's been. I think it's growing really <laughs> nicely. But I feel like this is, you know, true of everyone and everything. Yeah. They assume that their generation's the golden generation and that, you know, the, whatever they're working on is ticking along the best it has. Yeah. But by the time I'd allowed myself to be accepted and accept the scene, uh, so I'd sort of gotten over my mental hang-ups <laughs> I'd created for motivation or whatever. Yeah. It's an amazing scene. Uh, I was lucky enough to fall into, there's an improv show in Auckland called Snort. Yes. And that was a, to this day, that was a huge, for everyone in that show, that was a huge personal and professional boon, just mm-hmm. in terms of uh, connections and friendships made and like encouragement and support network. Yeah. Um, it's, we've always had New Zealanders come over for our comedy festival in trickles though, like in, you know, you get, you know, Flight of the Concords and Cal Wilson and yeah. people of Chris Darby, people have come in the last 20 years, but it seems like the last, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight years, it's just gone gangbusters and the amount of quality stand-ups and just improvisers coming out of New Zealand has magnified. Like it's just tenfold now compared to what yeah. it used to be. What do, you, what do you think it was that set that off was it flight of the concords being uh, so universally big that people thought i'm not sure flight of concords being big certainly motivated me to think i could achieve success mm. but not specifically in melbourne that was just more a broader overarching feeling yeah. i honestly think one of the driving factors was uh sort of lower airfares and common sense mm. you're in new zealand you're so close to you know sydney and melbourne are markets which are much much bigger yeah you're putting yourself in front, like you've got the potential to develop a much bigger audience. You're putting yourself in front of like other comedians or producers or, mm. you know, agencies which are uh, so much bigger than what we have in New Zealand. It's like it's as simple as going over to Melbourne and just trying to line up a week of shows. Mm. And, you know, like you can show up to Melbourne. If no one there's seen you, you can show up, do a week of shows. Everyone will be like, holy shit, where this New Zealand guy come from? Yeah, yeah. Go back. And by the time, so that was the logic I had. Uh, and then, I first came over to do Melbourne, Rose Matafeo and I did a split bill together there. Yeah. And the logic was like, well, if we do this. And then Snort came over that year as well. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I feel like it's just Snort's come back every year since then. Yeah. And like, yeah, we're all growing and developing in New Zealand. And then you come over to Australia and I don't know, I just think it was it was inevitable. Like before that, it made no sense that there wasn't more of a like, you know, bilateral relationship between Australian and yeah. New Zealand comedy and stand-up. Because like, yeah. Australians come over to New Zealand more now as well. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched Nort. I've watched a lot of the acts coming over now. And it's, it's like you all seem like your friends as well, which is, I guess, coming from a smaller community to a new place. You stay tight. Yeah. And everybody's friendly. Yeah, it just seems like you've something's clicked and everybody's absolutely stepped but, up so as well snort's been going for five years now and when it started it was like you know this nothing out of the blue kind of thing that worked like originally it was just four shows on fridays for one month mm. and then they were all full and fun so it just kept going and now it's been going weekly for five years uh but from there it's been interesting it's like that has been a huge support network for a lot of us but as it's grown more successful our perception of ourselves probably hasn't grown with it and so now in parts of New Zealand like that, you know, whether or not you want to be, we're part of a, a clique or like, yeah. you know, uh, not all of the old guard are fond of snort because okay. we're like, uh, you know, you can't say this, you can't say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like to... I some, think any old guard yeah. is always going to have some some little... Yeah, some beef. gripes about yeah, that. Gripes and then, uh, yeah, and then I think to like other, you know, newer, like... You know, when you have the consideration that you're not new anymore, you're yeah. not a part of the new wave, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you don't feel like you're part of the established guard. You're mm. just like sort of somewhere in the fucking slop. Mm. Yeah. It's sort, of a, it's sort of a bit of that. I mean, I think, yeah, Snort is it lucky that it's, it's carved out its own brand and identity in Auckland and it's an amazing to be a part of. But mm. it's like, I think uh, while we still feel like the sort of early 20s people who are figuring out how to improvise together, 
the perception is now like, oh, that's a group of, that's a clique. Yeah. It's like a gr- an in-group of cool people who, <laughs> who like are exclusionary. Yeah. Which is never the intention. It's like, it's just school all over again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellier and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. I've watched you do improv a little bit. I've probably seen you do stand up more. What do you do? You prefer one or the other, or do you find one uh, more challenging than the other? Uh, I prefer. I don't know. I don't really prefer one or the other. They're different things. They're mm. both fun to do. When I feel like I'm at my creative peak. The like crossover and skills is uh, is great. Like I love being confident and secure enough on stage mm. to be able to you know create moments live. And yeah. then like the laughs you get from improvising, in my experience, is a uh, are always bigger than what you can get from a written. Like there's that element of edge of your seat. We're creating this together. We all hope this is funny, as yeah. opposed to a clearly written joke. Just like, well, obviously you think this is funny, so <laughs> have at it. It's the same like even here on this tour, you know, we do our local material or you sort of, you know, you open and extend a bit of local observational material that you've got here and you get those big waves oh, of like amazing, yeah. laughter of recognition and then you <laughs> transition into like jokes which are solid gold back home <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, talk about, yeah, cricket again. Yeah. Um, so you've, you, you moved back to New Zealand – you win the Billy T, Snort's sort of getting going. When did podcasting come in? Uh, all around the same time. So I got back, I moved back to New Zealand slightly before my visa ran out to host a, a show on like a, an ABC equivalent, mm-hmm. TVNZU, okay. which was a youth channel uh, by the public broadcaster TVNZ. And I hosted a show called You Late, which was a spin-off of like an afternoon music select style show called You Live. So okay. You Late was every night from 10.30 to 11.30 p.m., Monday yep. to Friday, live. And I hosted that, and it was just me and the a producer filling out all the content. So we farmed out like these segments to our friends, and one of them was Tim Bat, who came on to do something called The Lou Review, mm-hmm. where he'd come in and review public toilets, <laughs> like as a public good. And I would always say, like I created a dynamic between us where I was like, I uh, didn't want him to be on the show. And then anyway, after six months of this incredible job and like learning so much and, you know, uh, really, really good experience, funding for the whole channel got pulled. Oh. And then the segment that had worked, that like Tim Bat and I had developed this comedy chemistry which had no outlet and he has a background in radio production. So he was like, well, podcasting's got the lowest barrier to trade. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, yeah, all that's all happening. Snort... Uh, my first hour, you know, the comedy festival and podcasting is all happening simultaneously. Yeah, and the, that podcast you started went quite well, didn't it? Can the worst just, idea of all time. Yeah, so explain the concept. Uh, so the concept of the worst idea of all time was Tim and I would watch and review the same movie every week <laughs> for a year. And uh, it did. It really took off. Yeah. Um, and the, movie, the first movie you reviewed was? Grown Ups 2. <laughs> and it just, uh, to this day, at its height, at its... Zenith was probably the most successful thing I've been a part of. Mm. It was just like just pig-headed commitment to <laughs> you know willful stupidity. Did I, I just when when you think about that fifty-two weeks of re- review, watching the same movie again, then reviewing it again, it just sounds like you would just get so sick of it. But did it get better for you? Like did you uh, did you enjoy it more the more it went on because it just got so. There was a there Ridiculous. was an interesting crossover period where the success of the podcast we wondered whether or not that would counter our genuine fury at the film. <laughs> it was like we were built, you know, like 
I don't know if it's true of stand-up, but you know when you're, you're building an audience and with podcasts, you can see the audience building in front of you mm. and it's like the difference between releasing something to say, what, you know, 500, 1,000 people are downloading it. Suddenly, you're looking at like, you know, thirty or 40,000 people might be downloading an episode as it goes mm. up and in your head, when you and your mate were just recording in yeah. this lounge, suddenly you're like, well, we're not, you know, we're not just recording a conversation between us for some of our mates to listen to. It's like we're recording... And there was a, a sort of a little, and at least I think Tim, you really spoke about it. I think he seemed fine, but in my head, I was, I, I got psyched out a little bit by that. I was like, yeah. "Holy shit, we've kind of stumbled into something here." Yeah, yeah. And I remember like when Paul F. Tompkins, who's a, a comedian mm. uh, who I'm a huge fan of, like cottoned onto it and followed me on Twitter. I remember being first of all nervous to send a tweet, <laughs> but then yeah. even nervous to like be myself now. on the podcast that I built on the success of being myself with yeah. my friend Tim, because I was like, oh, like now I know that this person's yeah. listening. It was interesting. I think you get over that as you go, but like mm. at the time, I remember thinking, "Well, this is a really weird, you know, like, this is the yeah. thing I want the most." You started with no pressure, yeah, and now you've got. Well, you think there's pressure, but really, you just got to keep doing what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Like it's absolutely. No. Uh, that's like that's experience learned you know you can't mm. academically you can understand that but until you've actually like absorbed that mm. you can't <laughs> you don't get to choose to flick that off unless yeah. i don't know people probably meditate can but yeah all that stuff comes to me came to me later mm. well it's kind of those thoughts you're having were similar thoughts you had to when you started out wasn't it like you you've kind of creating this yeah thing that's not there to uh, did, did that motivate you more uh and it, like did you want once that season finished? Did you were you really keen to start a second? Yeah, yeah, we, we wanted to keep going, but it was like a genuinely emotionally and like time consuming and arduous pursuit yeah. doing the podcast. Yeah, you know, then you go on podcasts like this where your mates just you turn on some mics and you have fun with a friend. You know, mm. oh, you don't need to go through some <laughs> horrible experience to generate content. I, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I've always been pretty ambitious. Like, as soon as I found stand-up and knew I liked it, mm -hmm. I was like, all of the uh, buried and scuttled ambition I'd experienced before, I, like, poured it into this. It's like, well, I want that to go well. Yeah. But, the, yeah, you still grapple, you know. Mm -hmm. I grapple with my work ethic every day. <laughs> you never, you ne no one's ever doing enough. No. And I take solace in that, but yeah. still I'm like, I'm on holiday. It, it wouldn't kill me. I could find an hour every day to, to mm. write. Yeah, and yet I don't. <laughs> like my most productive day was when I just shut myself in my room and frittered away two hours to the point where I literally could not stomach not working <laughs> and got an hour out of it. But that's like a three-hour process for one hour. Yeah. You know, it's a mess. And then you don't even know if that hour's productive. Yeah, you're yeah. good. Well, yeah. like you know, you might get one turn of phrase out of it, and you're like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah!" Uh, so you've got another podcast you're doing at the moment. You recorded one last night here where we're staying yeah so what that's a yearly podcast, yeah so that's it? that spun off the back of the worst idea of all time this is an annual podcast with uh podcast is a, a crossover with some guys called the McElroy brothers who host mm -hmm. a very successful podcast in america called my brother my brother and me yeah which is an advice podcast for the modern age uh and that's called till death do us blart <laughs> which is an annual thanksgiving day released uh discussion of Paul Blart Mallcop 2 <laughs> uh, if, every year until that the idea is that podcast will outlive us all so uh, we'll do that every year until we die <laughs> uh, and like all of us have to bequeath our hosting responsibility to someone yeah. when we uh, shuffle off this mortal <laughs> coil oh, excellent um, <laughs> so you so you're podcasting uh, you came to Melbourne you, your first debut solo show in Melbourne you were nominated for, for newcomer, newcomer. Yeah. so that was pretty cool. So that about what was that about two or three years ago? That was two thousand sixteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so, you've come back and done so yeah, shows since. Yeah, so yeah, I've done three solo shows on the trot now. So that mm. was two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and my I came over specifically with the goal of being nominated for best new like yeah, in yeah. the same way. I was like, oh, I'm going to win the Billy T. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to get nominated for that award. Great. Now, last year, 20... Comedy's uh, about awards, <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. 2017. I forgot what year it was then. For some reason, I thought it was 2019. I've been having trouble all year with it. Yeah, 2017. Uh, you decided to make... Was it this year or last year you decided to make the move to last New York? Last year. Last year, yep. So you decided to make the move to New York City. Yeah. 
the big smoke. How have you found NYC? Uh, it's been – initially I found it so hard. It's softened, but I've been grappling with this a little bit on this tour. It's, I, I found it to be great, like, you know – even if in the moment it's been incredibly challenging, I know that you know there's value beyond feeling miserable for a day. Mm. Um, but just because of the nature of how it works in terms of supporting myself and having to come back to New Zealand and Australia and like still tra- wanting and trying to develop an audience there, mm. I just like I've been there. I've been there for over a year, but I would have spent four of those months elsewhere. And moving anywhere, it's hard to get unless your boots are on the ground the whole time. It's hard mm. to build a genuine head of steam or yeah. like generate proper momentum. So I've got friends there now, mm. and I've like within the scene, I've sort of started carving out a name for myself. But it's so massive there, and everyone's worked so hard for their toehold yeah. that until you've said your vision into the periphery of everyone's you know consciousness now. That's Guy Montgomery. He's from New Zealand, but he lives here now mm. and he's available to do this show. Um, you're kind of like, for for every time you, you go there, you could, you know, every time you leave, so I've been there for four months and then I, like just now I've been there for four months and I've left to come on this tour. Mm. Uh, for however long you're away, that's how long you set yourself back. Right. So it's like I will have been away for two months, so I'll go back and of the four months progress I made before leaving – I'm down to just those first two months. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that's hard. Like, I can't earn any – I can't earn enough money in New York to support myself by being mm. there exclusively. So, I, I, the way, you know, it's an approximation of the dream. Mm. This is as close as I've gotten so far. Yeah, yeah. But it's still like, you know, I think if you're talented and you work hard, you will eventually get an opportunity in New York – Mm. But it's literally about whether or not you have the mental or financial fortitude to still be there when that moment arrives. Yeah. And I imagine for you coming from such a supportive, smaller, tight-knit community of New Zealand, coming to Australia, which is a little bit bigger, but still pretty friendly and tight-knit and not as cutthroat, New Zealand, uh, sorry, New York City would be just a million times crazier. Yeah. Like it's properly proper cutthroat industry. It's- no, it's every person for themselves. Yeah, you know. and there's no – and fair enough too, but the the world doesn't need to exist beyond New York for these people. So mm. I was willing to start again. I thought mentally I was willing and prepared, but I did not realize just the – like how much graft and hard work. We're just going to making friends and connections. Like I yeah. literally had to start from the ground up where I'd, I'd go to all the sh- – I'd get – you know, I'd figure out shows, figure out the shows I'd like. I'd go to all those shows – I find the comedians whose sensibility or who seem like people I'd like to get along with, I have to introduce myself mm. by myself to them. It's like I'm not wanting for self-confidence in New Zealand or Australia because I've worked hard to like establish mm. friends and connections there. But it, it's genuinely been a page one rewrite and it has been mm. uh, so isolating. And then they don't care. If you've done anything outside of New York – What's the relevance of that? Yeah. New York's self-sustaining. It's its own bubble, yeah. They don't, they don't give a fuck. And fair enough too. But so like I've, you know, you start putting, I've started producing my own shows and hosting my own shows, booking the comedians I like. Uh, one, so that I can get stage time. Two, so I can give them stage time. But largely it's like then you've got capital. So mm. then you put them on a show that's a good show. They see that you're funny. Then they have the confidence and trust mm. to be like, well, yeah, would you like to do my show? Yeah. Um, that's smart it's smart but it's like it's not doing it all yourself is a pain in the ass yeah it's really like it's been really hard and for how much hard work I've put in I don't feel like I've got the the same return Mm. and so and there's no guarantee I will necessarily yeah and meeting people uh you're 30 now right yeah so meeting people in your 30s just as friends, regardless of stand-up or trying to make contacts is hard. You know, you don't, you don't really – Yeah. You, you sort of have all your friends by the time you're 30. You might meet some different people along the way, but you kind of have your base there. You, yeah. So moving away from that, just being solitary in that regard is tough, let alone then having to meet people to yeah. make a living. 
Well, I, I sort of, it was, it was silly really, but because I'd done that when I started going to Toronto and I'd so happily gone to open mics, but it's because I had no ego. Mm. I was literally starting. Yeah. But you, you know, got that young seven, sort of, yeah, yeah, and I was young and like yeah. I didn't, I, didn't, I wanted the adventure, and I still yeah. do. But like at thirty, you want, you want the comfort of doing good gigs. You don't want to have to go and fucking slum it around and perform mm. to five comics at eleven thirty on a Tuesday. Yeah, and if you do have to do that, you want to be doing it with a, a friend, or you, you know, you want to have mm. someone to make all the Snyder sides to with you, or at least to be able to go home and be like. To whoever's there, geez, that was a shitter. Yeah. But if it's just you, you drive yourself insane. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean the the friendship element has been. I've got like a, a base of friends there now. I live with a very close friend who's a Kiwi, who's a, a an artist, a painter. So mm-hmm. like, and he's sort of done the same thing in a different field. Okay, but that's been a huge, like, mental. The mental support that that's provided has been massive. Mm. It's like you know we're sort of doing a different version of the same thing together. Yeah, yeah. But trying to like you know yeah, as a thirty year old trying to make friends from scratch on the scene, it also feels kind of transparent, <laughs> yeah. which isn't a nice feeling. No, no. But I don't know. No one's making me. No one's made me move there. It's no, always, it's, a, it's all blind ambition. Yeah, you only live once. Uh, you, I've, you heard you talk about it on stage. You got put on. You had friends trying to set you up with friends for yeah. friend dates. That, yes. that to me sounds like the greatest nightmare of all time. Yeah, look, I, I yeah, I've, I've been on some great friend dates, <laughs> like, and I have made friends from Just it. The idea it sounds so, but it's yeah, there, and there's also like a confusion around. You know, it's like. <laughs> If you're on a date, there's at least a common end goal. There's a, there's a, a sort of shared ambition. You might not get there, but yeah. there's, you know, there's a, a motivator that underpins the entire hang. Yeah. But a friend date, it's such this weird sort of ethereal <laughs> concept. You're sort of like, yeah, yeah, you know. And friendship doesn't happen. That Like, friendship takes, you know, months of incidental run-ins and hangouts before you're like, hey, well, should we do this thing where we pointedly hang out together? You don't start by pointedly hanging out together. Uh, did you have any nightmare friend dates? It's, I mean, not nightmare. It's just the same as a regular date where you just know you're not compatible. <laughs> and then you're sort of like, do they think, like, you know, do they think we're compatible? It's it's similar actually to, you know, when you do a bad, you, you meet someone you like or respect and you're on the same lineup and you do your set and it's a bad set mm. and you come off stage and you're like, you have to say something because you're like, do they think that I think I just did well? <laughs> you're like, it's, you know, that's ego. You can't, they probably know that you know you didn't do well, mm. but it takes an incredible amount of <laughs> self-confidence to not bring that up. Yeah. Uh, uh, the gigs you have done in New York, uh, ones you've enjoyed, um, mm-hmm. have you found your material translates and Absolutely, have you had to, yeah, had to change yeah. the way you write to be a bit more? No, I've always wanted to work, like even travelling from New Zealand to Australia and starting in Canada, I've always wanted to be travel ready. Mm-hmm. So I've always tried to... You know, you can observe what's happening in the place you're in, but I've always wanted my material to translate. I think on stage, the sensibility doesn't need to change at all. Conversationally, I find the American sense of humor different. Yeah. But in stand-up and improv, it's like, you know, if you're being funny, you're being yeah. you're being funny. Is the New Zealand point of difference a help over there? I think so. Again, I think it's about being there long enough to let – to let the point of difference take seed and really flourish, mm-hmm. but I do I do think so. Like it is a, uh, it's only slight, but it is it is something. Um, when I've really flown over there, when I've gone well, it's been less about like the, what I've found really hard professionally is because I don't have my friends backstage and I don't have like the confidence of the audience. It's like it's every gig from small to big. Mm. It's like I feel like I'm on trial and I have to prove myself, which doesn't generate the best results. Like your best gigs are when you feel relaxed and confident and you sort yeah. of you could be having a conversation backstage and then you get called and you just turn and walk out <laughs> yeah. and you've got that same energy. Yeah. Like I remember sitting in a room with like six other comedians, none of whom I knew or necessarily respected, to do an open mic 
and being like having some of the worst but like nerves and anxiety I can remember before going on stage in a mm. long time. This was like three weeks after I'd done a gala at, for the Sydney Comedy Festival and like done the Opera House. Mm. I was in like a back bar in New York City with five other comics. <laughs> the most nervous I can remember being to go on stage to do five minutes of new material at an open mic. Yeah. And I was so nervous I dug up like old jokes just to try and smash. Yeah. And they didn't fire. <laughs> and so I just plummeted even lower. Oh, it's the recipe for disaster, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that position from uh, – that, that kind of typifies your experience of moving to New York, like from – Opera House, yeah, yeah, to there, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you've got to try and get to the the Opera House level in, New yeah, York. absolutely. That's the dream, right? Mm. I just, you've, I feel like I've cast myself adrift a little bit, and it might backfire, it might work, but it's like where I'm sort of between several scenes now without really being super present in any of them, right? You know, like, but you're still, what are you, seven years in? Is that what you? Yeah, it's still, you're still so. Green. Yeah, 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 new to the, you know, seven years' time, you'll be 14 years in, and that's still not yeah. a ridiculous amount of time, you know. But yeah. imagine how much more experience you'll get and how Abs- much more confident Absolutely. you'll be. Absolutely, but, I mean, it would take some sort of sado-transcendental meditative, you know, <laughs> maniac to have such a healthy, long view. Like. <laughs> Of course I'll be doing better in seven years' time, but <laughs> what fucking comfort is that to me right now? <laughs> uh, so how long do you think you'll give New York? Um, I, want to, I, want, I want to be in America indefinitely. I want to be there long enough to mm. see if I get that opportunity. I have recklessly and brilliantly fallen in love with a <laughs> New Zealander and, who lives in Auckland with uh, – her three-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. which means makes everything. It's a more tough. Obviously, you don't account for these things. Like part of the reason that we wound up in a relationship is because it was impossible from the outset. Mm. And so you know, in that situation, you sort of go, "Oh, well, this will never work." So why don't you just come in literally deeper than anyone's come <laughs> before? Uh, and so, how to navigate that? I don't know. Like I've got two years, just under two years left on my current visa. And uh, the rubber will meet the road somewhere. Mm. Like, even now, I, I, I imagine I'll still be traveling between... Like, if my life goes to plan, I will absolutely storm the Australian and New Zealand festivals this year mm. and be able to take it, like, develop enough an audience that I'm confident to take a year off mm-hmm. the next year so I can spend a year concentrating on America. America, yeah. That's not a bad plan. Yeah. So, so we'll see you in 2019 in Australia at the festivals? I'll be, yeah, in 2019 I'll be in Australia for the festivals and mm. then if that goes well, in 2020 I won't be. I'll be in an open mic of 30 people <laughs> in New York. Uh, so so would, uh, obviously Americans always talk about the break, like you need the break, uh, either a Letterman spot or not that it's around anymore, but those late night spots. Yeah. Is that being in New York – uh, and gigging around these open mics—is that what everyone's after? Is, is it specials and the break? It's, what, what? it's not as streamlined now. It's more disparate because there's so many different outlets and ways of people putting themselves out there. Mm. There's no like, not everyone's jostling for a Letterman spot now. You want a TV credit because they hold so much water over there, mm. and that's how you get booked on show. Like if they can write the name of an identifiable network or show next to your name on the board or the poster, that's like. A huge boost mm, yeah um so everyone wants that for me i wanted for ego i want to do a spot on like colbert or mm. you know conan or whatever it is now yeah um but I, it doesn't seem to me like that's the shared goal like so many people are just making their own stuff i think people just want what they're making to be seen mm. and yeah, I mean, comedy's hard because there's never been like a clear blueprint. There's never been a clear way to be like, hey, this, and that will all work out. Mm. And, you know, it's great that it's been blown entirely open by the internet, but it also means that, you know, it, it puts more pressure, you know, like the it puts more pressure on you to keep creating stuff, mm. which in turn makes you less secure about how much stuff you are creating. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
So it goes both ways, I think. For me, though, it's like I'd love to make friends there who I'm happy to create stuff with. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, because I'm like, I can only concentrate on myself, I'd love to work my way onto a, a, a late night spot. Right. Like that would not just feel like it would validate me in America, but it would also validate the decision to go to everyone back home. And, you know, like it would be a huge mental yeah. Yeah. boost. Great. Well, I really look forward to the next few years to see how you go. Um, fingers crossed you don't shit your pants. Hey. At any of those opportunities that your guts are fine and yeah. firing. Even if I do. <laughs> You're the first comic to well, yeah. shit their pants on be pretty American funny, TV. Dude. Well, it would go viral. It would yeah. definitely get your name out there. <laughs> I don't know. If those sorts of videos, it's not usually... You know, comedian Guy Montgomery shits pants on late night set. It's just comedian shits pants <laughs> yeah. on late night set. Uh, would you like to plug anything before we wrap it up? You got uh, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I got both of those. And they're great platforms. Uh, you know, if you want to keep up with the news or see some jokes, Twitter's good fun. Or if yeah. you want to see photos of your friends and family's holidays and, and whatnot, I can recommend Instagram. I'd like to give both those websites a play. <laughs> and. Uh, obviously, I, I've noticed you're plugging a lot of uh, big companies on Instagram now. You've got a lot of sponsorships. Well, not in the there. sense that I'm getting money. Oh, but okay. uh, I just figured, you know, I've got a humble following. <laughs> Why not promote some products of their recommendation <laughs> to, to others? So it's uh, Instagram guy underscore Mont. Yeah, and same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. Do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, I do. If you look up Guy Montgomery on Facebook, it'll be the comedian page with roughly 3,000 likes. Great. Hey. Solid. Uh, and next year, 2019, go and see Guy at a festival near you. You'll be going to Melbourne. Yeah, I'm doing, I'll be doing uh, Brisbane, Canberra, Melbourne, Sydney, and New Zealand. The show's called I Was Part of the Problem Before We Were Talking About It. Excellent. And I reckon I'd have listeners in all of those places. Maybe I might get some listeners in New Zealand yeah. having you on there. So that's good. You're that's lucky. a good plug. But definitely Canberra, Melbourne. Oh, really? Canberra? So, can, well, Canberra I started. Oh, yeah. So get around me, Canberra. Yeah. So go and see Guy in Canberra if you're listening from there. Or go and see him everywhere, obviously. I'm not just uh, saying go Canberra. Uh <laughs> Well, that is it, mate. Thanks very much for coming and sitting on my bed with me for the last 50 minutes or so. That's flown by. It has gone quick. Thanks very much for taking it easy with me. Hey, it was a pleasure. Do you want to go for a swim? Yes. Hey, thanks very much for listening. As Guy said there, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter. His handle is Guy underscore Mont. Uh, he's also on Facebook at Guy Montgomery. Check those out. Also, go and see Guy live if you get a chance uh, in Australia and New Zealand in 2019 when he's touring. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Uh, word of mouth is uh, much appreciated. Uh, you can send your friends to iTunes, uh, Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. There's 20-odd uh, other episodes up from this year. Give it a like and subscribe while you're there or a comment. That'd be much appreciated. Uh, if you or your friends don't have iTunes, head to my website, danielconnell.com.au and go to the podcast section. All the episodes are there. You just press play and away you go. Um, while you're at it, you might as well give my Facebook page a like. It's Daniel Connell Comedy. I also have Instagram and Twitter, Daniel Connell Comedy and just Daniel Connell 3. That's about it. Thanks very much for listening. Also, actually... Go to my website, I've got gigs there coming up, I've got a lot of gigs coming up in the new year, all the festivals coming up, my new show Piece of Piss, come check that out as well. But otherwise, take it easy and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, bye.